0: let's go for that okay hi everybody happy new year um it's nearly the end of january but i think this is the first time we've seen each other since then and uh, we're on our 34th episode which is absolutely fabulous um and it seems to keep growing and we're covering a lot more topics at the moment um and we've got some brilliant cpd now to go alongside the podcast which is fabulous so today we are talking about planning EAL support which is covering the TA role and the role of play and we're going to look at some evidence-based strategies that can support you in the classroom. So hi Rob, hi Joe, great to have Hello. you. Um, so planning the EAL support, um, what are your thoughts Jo from your perspective in the classroom?
1: Um, so I think you've got to look at a couple of levels, so you've got to look if you're looking kind of leadership wise you need to look at how your um adults are deployed across the school and what your policy is for that how many adults do you have do you have the adults are they class-based are they um do they work with targeted children for more sort of individualized or group support um and then obviously you want to look at a as a teacher at a classroom level what can you do for the adults that you come into contact with um, in your class so I guess it's a question of how your setting um, allocates the support what support you have available and how how it's allocated to you and then obviously you can look at it within your within your classroom yeah and we get that age-old
0: question don't we, as well about planning support I think whether to keep EAL learners in the classroom or whether to remove them and have those intervention lessons and, and where that will be on the timetable as well don't we what are your thoughts Rob?
2: Yeah, I mean, I obviously agree with what Joe said. I think the other side of the coin is who your learners are. Um, And I I think that very often we see a good sense of who the pupils are. You might have two or three distinct groups of of pupils, different backgrounds, different needs, and so on, but then only one broad EAL offer. And I wonder sometimes the question is do we actually have two or three three ways of, of approaching? yale provision in a school that needs to be different for different groups of pupils and that gives you a bit more of um a bit more flexibility if you say right well i'm going to do this for this group but for this group we might need something else
0: yeah that's definitely a better idea of way of approaching it isn't it and i know our listeners can range from eyfs to maybe adult support so there's also that age range isn't there and that difference in in that as well um Jo, I know you've looked at some research revolving around um, this topic. Do you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, so it's not um it's not EAL specific research, but it's research that's come from the EEF um and it's called making best use of TAs, um and it's something that I refer to quite often. They they did a report and they came up with quite a few principles, number of principles, um or recommendations. They came up with seven recommendations for how to make. Um, the most effective use of TAs in the classroom I'm not going to go through all of them but there's a couple of them I think can be particularly um, linked to what we're talking about today Um, so the third one was actually around um, helping pupils develop independent learning skills and um, supporting them to manage their own learning because what the study found was that um, historically there's been a tendency for TAs and adults and probably teachers as well when we're working with children to maybe jump in a bit too quickly and think oh I've been assigned to work with this group of children therefore I'm going to get straight in there with all my questions and my modelling and I'm going to get really stuck in really quickly Um, and what this report found um, was that that happens a bit too often and that actually there's a there's um It's important to think about how you can kind of maybe take a bit of a step back, maybe not jump in straight away. What can you do that's going to help them to develop their independence so that you might give them? kind of the least amount of help first is what they talk about so you kind of step back from it you kind of watch what they're doing see what they're coming up with you might give them a bit of a prompt a bit of a clue but you're not jumping in straight away with kind of modeling it or helping them with the answer um, so they came up with a it's called a self-scaffolding um, model
0: okay
1: and it's kind of like a triangle and at the top is they're talking about self-scaffolding which is kind of what you want the children to do most Um, and then it goes right down at the narrow point of the triangle goes down to correcting and that's the bit that you want to do the least of but they found that um, often we can jump in and do the opposite so they talk about things um, like sitting back listening questioning prompting maybe giving them a clue doing all of those sorts of things before you actually get in and kind of correct anything that they're they're saying Um, and I think that's really useful I think when I've shared it at previous training before lots of people kind of including teachers we kind of reflect on it and think oh yeah we're maybe we've done that before and actually maybe you know they can do more than they think we think they can we've got to give them more credit I think so if you sit back to start off with and kind of suss out what help is needed and then you can prompt them and then you conclude them that's much more effective I think than jumping in straight away so that's one of the Um, one of the recommendations that I think is particularly um, important and the other one they mentioned um, the fourth one actually is around ensuring TAs are fully prepared for their role in the classroom so I think in terms of EAL if we're expecting them to be working really effectively with EAL learners then we need to make sure we've provided the training and the support so that they know the effective strategies um, to do that so I think they're the two that particularly stand out for me so it'd be interesting to see what Rob thinks to those
2: yeah I I mean I completely agree I think that point about making sure that your TA or yourself if you're a TA has that opportunity to really develop is important it's worth just noting that contract difference that if, if you're only paid for the hours that you're actually working as a TA there's very very little scope for professional development and that's something that I think has has to go to SLT to say, look, how can we structure this so that people have got regular time to do to do professional development? Because without that, there's a real cap on on how much you can do, whatever your job in life is. And um, I wonder, for me, I suppose it, it's worth going back to what is happening in the classroom and in the child's brain for them to acquire the language uh, really effectively. So. Our basic recipe for for language acquisition is they need lots and lots of exposure to a rich language. They need opportunities to use it. And of course, that use has to be meaningful. And that means you're trying to do something with it you actually need or want to do. So um, the language of the classroom, the teacher's talk, the peer talk, all of that is really, really rich. That's what children need to be exposed to. And their brain is going to be sorting that into patterns constantly, whether we can see it or not if we reduce the richness of that talk by um, rephrasing simplifying explaining things then that child's brain has less of an opportunity to spot patterns in in rich language so there's a trade-off obviously we want to make things easier to understand um, so that they can learn and, and keep pace with the class but the more that we do that the more we're reducing that rich diet of language. So it's being aware of that trade-off. You know, only you can tell what the right balance is because you're the only you are the person in the classroom with that child. But there's a trade-off. And I would always err on the side, as Joe says, of making sure they have exposure to the what the teacher's saying, and then you know, using that checking uh, questions or clarifying questions to see what they've understood and to clarify it with them rather than explaining it for them and repeating it for them there are ways that you can make it easier for them to follow, and that's your pre-teaching. So if they've got what we call the schema or the overall structure of what's happening, um, then it's gonna be much easier to follow. If children have recently arrived from overseas, the way that teachers structure lessons, which bit is the teacher giving instructions? Which is the teacher giving an exposition or, or an overview or an explanation, a chunk of teacher talk, which in university terms, I call the lecture bit in a workshop, Mm-hmm. Um, rather than the workshop bit you know when they know when that phase is well okay they know they are to be paying attention to it and then what's the terms next do we move into group work do we do pair work are we asked to respond and so on those can be really different depending on what the child is used to so one way of doing it effectively is just for for the the ta whoever's sitting with the child to say right okay so mrs so-and-so mr so-and-so is going to explain what we're doing now let's try and remember what are we doing so you're giving them the support to follow what's happening in the classroom without reducing the richness of the language so you can do a lot to get there um, and then you've got those meaningful interactions so doing the classwork is more meaningful talking to their peers trying to do activities together is really meaningful and the brain processes meaning much quicker than it processes grammar so if there's a if there's something that's meaningful it sinks in and that's because the brain's trying to spot patterns but it's also trying to spot which patterns are important. So two ways that it does that. One is through repetition when we encounter a pattern lots and lots and lots, but also through signals about meaning. So if it's if it's obviously important, um if it's useful to us, we're more likely to think it's an important pattern. And again, you know doing an exercise with the TA, doing different work to everyone else, doing stuff that's simpler is going to be less meaningful than actually trying to do something with your with your Classmates with the person sitting next to you, and so on. So all of this comes down to um having, having a TA sit next to a child can be absolutely crucial to help them follow what's happening in the classroom and participate in the classroom. We know that we want kids in there as much as possible, but it comes with trade-offs. So the advice that that Jo gives, through her own experience, of course, and the EF's um work in evidence summaries is telling us then how can we put that into practice? And ways that we can do it to make sure they still have that rich exposure to language, opportunities to use it, and opportunities that are meaningful, is through, for example, pulling back slightly, doing what they can do, stepping in only when you need to. And and I think that kind of a look under the bonnet of what's happening to the child as they're exposed to language and the classroom strategies together, hopefully are a pretty powerful combo.
0: And I guess that's why, when you're looking at setting in secondary school, why it's, you're told to have the AL learners in a higher set rather than in the lower set because of that sort of thing as well.
2: Yeah, they're, they're learning from their peers. And they may well be very capable of being in a higher set, but don't have the language to show it. They'll get that language if they're with higher achieving peers. Um, they will rise up to that level very, very quickly, even if we can't see the evidence of it. So a child who's in that that famous silent period, that doesn't mean that they're not working at, at a very high level. It just means that they can't show that to us. So putting them next to a high achieving peer says, we expect you to achieve highly. We've got confidence, but we're also giving you the resources to do that.
0: Yeah, I had that with a little boy and he came in year seven um, with little to no English, had that silent period for a long time, but and he ended up outperforming a lot of his peers at GCSE.
2: So there's amazing data on this. and. Um, On average, and, you know, there's millions of children in the school system, the averages hide an awful lot of variation. But on average, once children reach a good intermediate level of English, so studied in stage C, using the A A to E framework, they start getting really close to national average. And by the time they're in stages D and E, they're consistently, on average, outperforming monolingual children.
0: Yeah, definitely. And when he was about 14, he started the English Literature Text and he'd have them in both languages and yeah, dual yeah. language. But he just, it was amazing. But like, like you say, it's being in those higher sets and we kept him in that all the way through. Had a massive impact probably.
2: But you don't, I mean, you don't know. I'm, I'd be really interested nice to know what you think about this because obviously you're, you're working with early career teachers all the time. And when you have that child arrive, it's... <laughs> you're working on faith aren't you because you don't know (laughs) you don't know how capable they are you don't know what else is going in their life you know we say you put them in the higher sets um but you're doing that potentially without any evidence of it i'd be fascinated to know how you work through (laughs) that decision with with neuro teachers
1: yeah i think it's it is hard i think personality of them is so important i think they can thrive um on that, some of them, if they've got the the personality and the skills, other than of them, I'm thinking of different ones that I've taught over the years, you know, they'd, they'd really struggle and they'd find that quite kind of overwhelming and intimidating, even if it's somewhere that they get to eventually, I think to begin with, They're, them finding their feet kind of in the classroom, I think very much depends on their personality. Um, and I, I always think of one little boy I had and he was so confident and so outgoing and he talked to everybody. Um, and his confidence level was so high that that none of that would phase him but then I also remember another little boy I taught who who didn't have that confidence he wasn't so outgoing Um, and so I think he found it all overwhelming um, initially it's tricky but definitely giving them the giving them the role models setting the expectations really high set the expectations Uh, expectations high and then think about how you're going to help them get there that's where all your scaffolding comes in um you want to keep the expectations high for all of them that's particularly um important in terms of of new teacher i mean i'm doing a training sessions funny on friday for trainee teachers um to support uh newly arrived children and children that are new to new to learning English and there's so much work that goes on in that induction phase and what happens in the early stages of a child joining a school and a class that's so important I mean I always suggest that teachers in the school you know get as much information as you can from previous schooling from parents from carers from families I mean sometimes that's quite easy sometimes it's really, really challenging and you don't you don't get anything. So then you're having to use your, you know, your teacher judgment and your observations of that child and and their family and their carers and and make those decisions kind of early on. Um and it is it is tricky, but I think the more you teach children that are new to English, the more kind of confident you become at making those decisions. I know lots of when I talk to my trainees, they're often quite intimidated by just the very kind of thought of where do I even start with, um, you know, learners that are new to English. But I just say to them, you just do what you would do when you have a new child join your class. It's the same. It's the same thing. Um, Try not to be intimidated by it. But I think if people have not come across it before, not experienced it before, then it can be... um, particularly challenging but it's so important that those children get off to a good start in your school and in your classroom so there's a a big piece of important work to be done in terms of the induction processes so i definitely go to your setting your schools find out what that looks like what's expected of you and what decisions do you need to make when um, and find someone to support you with those especially if you're if you're new to the to the profession the TA can have a huge role in that as well can't they Joe? massive massively important i mean if you've got one and i'm going to i mean i most of my experience is in primary and what i'm seeing in primary at the minute is fewer and fewer tas um it was quite common when i started teaching i had a class ta um i'm not seeing that when i go into school so much now so then the tas in primary certainly are are spread out a bit more they're shared across classrooms across year groups um, or they work with targeted children so you might have a TA that comes into a lesson to support a child and then disappears off to a different class to support another child so um, yeah get to know how your support is planned for in your school um, and then for whatever adults that you do have make sure you know when you've got them coming in who they're coming to support and how are you especially if they're in and out how are you going to get um, communicate your planning or your you know what you would like them to do how are you communicating that with them, especially if they're in and out of different lessons across different um, classes that's really difficult. If they're only with you for half an hour, 40 minutes, how do you communicate that? So I, th- I think that's probably the most important thing is that communication of what you are expecting of them and what you would like them to do to support the children so that you're making the best if you've only got half an hour or 45 minutes of support you want to make sure you're making the most efficient use of that time. Yeah, this is and it's so important.
2: Um, oh, sorry. I'd say so. It's so important to have a little bit of upward management because you've got to ask for some pupils having sporadic half hours or sporadic hours of support. It's not going to make a huge amount of difference. You know, it, it really isn't. It's not consistent enough. It's not well planned enough because you you don't get that support. You don't always know when people are coming in. You know what's making a difference, and I think that's where we could all wish for more resources. But if you have the equivalent of, of, you know, an hour in a couple of lessons a week for that pupil, um, that time might be better spent in rather than one to one in the class in small group prep work so that they can get more out of the rest of the lesson. And that co-planning time, yes, co-planning so that so the prep work meets the needs of the class, but also know what strategies you're going to pick up to make sure that you're getting the best use of this pupil. And we know a lot of these are really, really simple. And and once you've once you've got them as a habit, you know, they just like good, good comprehension checking questions that work for bilingual children rather than monolingual children that don't don't make certain assumptions. Once you do it that way, it's zero extra time to do. So maybe think about if you have really limited TA time. Are they best used in class? are they best used actually to to make sure children are better prepared for your class and what things can you do? Or even, you know, if you've got lots of children who are, who are newly arriving, do you need um, a short term goal-driven transition program? I I just, I don't know what you guys think. I'd be really cautious about this phrase survival English. Just remembering that in, in terms of the immediate everyday language for social interaction and finding your way around the school that tends to come much much better from peers so a good peer mentoring or buddying scheme uh, and a, the hampshire young interpreters scheme is, is really good for that that will take a lot of that responsibility away and it'll work really well But so if they've got a good buddying scheme you've maybe got a transition program in place you're using your tas to make sure they're well prepared for your class and, and you're able to pick up from that 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 might be a more effective and more efficient way of using that really limited time as well
0: yeah definitely the pre-teaching um system that you might have with the tas say you were doing romans this term and say space the following term would you say with those tas for them to be working on the next term ahead if you know what i mean how would you expect teachers to be using that time
2: i would probably I, i'd defer to joe on this one <laughs> but I, <laughs> I i would probably keep it fairly immediate how long has the pupil got to hold that information in their head? Mm. Yeah, well, I would. I you might. Of course, it depends primary or secondary and, and lots of other factors. If in primary, if you're doing something based around a topic, it might be topic based, um, which would give you yeah you know, that slightly longer run of things.
0: Yeah, almost um, like the week ahead and two weeks ahead and could be the week the ahead. But home think- as well
2: it's yeah exactly so maybe planning that bit further ahead but thinking right well if I'm going to make sure they're prepped to use this vocabulary when are they going to use it because I mean listen you teach me something I might remember at lunchtime but but that's about it Um, you might also want to focus on core subjects particularly at secondary um, which might not be you know obviously English and maths might might not be the main places you put that because that could be places where you've got good support already and you yeah. could use it to, to widen it out. But also, I mean, you know, I, I think I'm a big fan of transition programs. They don't have to be full withdrawal. It could be two hours a week. You've got a buddying scheme. We're gonna we're gonna just support you to know how lessons work so that you know you know what's expected of you, you know what's happening in different stages, you've got the language to ask for help. You won't necessarily get that bit. That's not a social language. Um, but getting the most out of your classroom could can be done with any age. And, Thinking a bit more creatively about not how do we support this child because that's a teacher's job, but thinking about well, not teacher, yeah, what I mean is it's an adult's job, but thinking about um, how is this child engaged in the classroom and what do they need instead sort of just flipping it around, really? Because otherwise, what we think of in terms is in terms of what we can provide, and it becomes a resource provision question, um, particularly at school level, rather than. Let's take each of those bits the kids try to do and just see how can we help them to make it work better. And very often what we'll find is that that draws us away from planning for, for TAs to be in class. Because actually, yes, that helps them in the moment, but in the other 20 hours, they don't have that support. They don't have anything. So thinking about what we can do to help develop them can be really effective. And it's worth saying, you know, mo- most of my work is, is at the moment is with arrive in, in late key stage three, key stage four, um often you know with significant drama and gaps in schooling. And it 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 works at that age. I've, I've seen it work in the early years. So I, I have reasonable confidence that that, that will work in most places. Yeah
1: have you got anything to add to that Jo? Uh, yeah just that I've done so I mean when I was the AL lead I was fortunate in that I didn't have classroom responsibility so then that opens a whole kind of different set of doors up and I was able to do similar things to what Rob's been talking about where I could pick you know, I'd select a group, of, you know, we'd get lots of new children arriving all of the time, I could, you know, gather together a group, and I could, um, you know, take them out of class for a little bit to say, look, this is what school is, this is what lessons look like, this is what, you know, when this happens, this is what teachers are expecting of you, you know, this might help you with that, this thing, it was kind of almost how to set them up to get the best out of their lessons, because I couldn't be in their lessons all of the time, they didn't have TAs, you know, there weren't going to be TAs, with them all of the time. You know, some classes had some TA sometimes, but like Rob said, most of the time they're in a class of 30. So it was kind of, we did lots of things kind of around the tools that they could use to kind of help themselves. So like I said, right at the beginning, that self scaffolding, how can they, you know, if they're stuck in this situation, what tools can they use? What um, have they got around the classroom that can help them? You know, how could they use their home languages? Is Is there translation tools, you know, what, what support can they expect from their teacher could they ask their you know people on their table all sorts of things to teach them to be a bit more independent so that they don't sit there you know feeling a bit stuck or you know wishing someone was there to help them but making them um as independent as possible and just remembering that education you know wherever you go to school is different from what it's not necessarily the same education system that they've that they've come from some of them haven't um haven't experienced any education so far you know different countries start school different ages I've had children you know come into year one and two and the teachers are expecting them to be at a certain level in terms of you know no knowing what goes on in a school and in a classroom they've never been to school before so they they've got no kind of prior knowledge around that this their kind of schema around that is non-existent so um, I think it's kind of having all of that in mind as well think about where they've where they've come from what they've had before the journey that they've been on to get to your school isn't always you know hasn't always been a smooth a smooth one they you know there's loads of different ways and pathways they've traveled down to get into your school so I think educate yourself um about those as much as you can I mean you can't know everything but I would always kind of make a bit of an effort to go and find out as much as I as much as I could and then pass that on to the teachers as well because then sometimes their expectations then they kind of I mean they're just teachers are so busy we're so busy um but Mm -hmm. if you can stop and say I used to say to one you know actually they 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 don't start school in you know the country that they've just come from they don't start school until they're eight and then I remember one teacher going oh okay and then she kind of was able to rethink her whole kind of thinking around what learning would look like for that child and what she was expecting of that child but sometimes it's just those little things little prompts maybe that are just so helpful but yeah as much as you can give them to um set themselves up for what school looks like what lessons look like you know what does it mean you know, when the teacher gets out their lolly sticks, what does, you know, what mm, do certain yeah. symbols, what do certain symbols mean? You know, they've got most schools got used visual time to you know, what does, what is maths? What is history? I remember one child, we lined up to go to assembly. Um, and one of my new little ones was crying because they didn't, they didn't understand, they, where were they going? They didn't know yeah. where they're going. Yeah. I had, and my fault, I hadn't told them, what, you know, it's all those little tiny things. But then it's I like, oh, actually yeah it's on the visual timetable we're going to assembly oh what's assembly oh actually assembly is this we just sit we listen we sing we you know we join in it's okay it's that kind of and then when they've got that and then they've got a little cue of what assembly oh right yeah you know what assembly it's all of those it's all of those expectations that we have as teachers um and we're putting on these children but we've got to remember what what's come before or what's not come before I think that's so important
2: you know that that's so right this keep we've not maybe named it yet but it keeps coming up this idea that um particularly for newly arrived children feeling secure in a school is gonna it's just like the absolute foundation as we know of all learning what makes children feel it feel secure well predictability knowing how schools work and the fact they work that way day in, day out is really, really important. And I think the people that I've seen who are absolutely best at this is um, early years teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Nursery, preschool, early years teachers. And I think especially for secondary teachers, if you can um, make that connection and just, you know, enough time to drink a couple of cups of coffee, but just spend a bit of time, maybe even a visit, um, see how early years teachers Bring kids into school and just do that socialising into the institution. Obviously, it won't work exactly the same way with older learners, but those principles of just quite how far they break down the expectations. That, as you say, Joe, we line up to go to lunch. The fact that lunch is provided or not provided, or most people here do this, most people do that. The, the, the kind of they start from such a, um, an early point, knowing that everything has to be has to brought in and even you know a lot of reception classrooms and and our classes will have uh, next to the whiteboard those little visual things of first of all it's registration then it's circle time then it's smack then it's this that and the other and it shows the progress through the day um that that works for everyone so you might not want to do that in in you know your gcse key stage four but actually giving them that on a, on a as you say, that visual timetable, and just teachers knowing that when a child leaves their lesson, they newly arrived, say, OK, so remember, let's get your timetable. Let's have a look. OK, so we're here. This is next. And this is where you're going. Who are you going with? Right, OK, so you're going to take them. Great. All of that, it, it's it's so much we take for granted, but buddy schemes, visual timetable is really important. And it just, it makes the school predictable. And when the school gets predictable, it becomes sort of boring. It, it's not worth worrying about anymore it just becomes part of the furniture really and that's when that's when learning can be what they focus on but you you just I mean you just cannot focus on what you're trying to do in the classroom if you are completely at sea and I think we we focus a lot on how we promote learning in the classroom um but yeah we, we talk about this all the time don't we helping children to feel safe and secure and actually recognizing for the first what six months, six weeks, that's mm. really what's going to be happening. Mm. That's that's the main goal for the first six weeks yeah. at the very least.
0: With secondary yeah. as well, you've got the two-week timetable quite a lot of the time. Yeah. So it takes a good couple of months to even get your head around that. I mean, when you come back after half-term, remember whether it's week A or week B, I used to always get up the wall. <laughs> yeah, that's just right. the
2: teachers, eh? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I had to think about EYFS as well. My girls go to preschool and how strict the routines are there and everything and how that makes them feel so safe. Like said it's really—I mean, it's—it's
2: it's so skilled and well thought through, though. And you yeah. know, if you—if you do spend time, if you're more more secondary experience, if you do spend time right at the very very earliest stages, they're learning. Those earliest teachers are phenomenal in in the stuff that I would completely take for granted. They thought mm. every single mm. move through.
0: Yeah, it's the images and everything as well, and everything, isn't it? And they go in and collect the name with the picture on, and because I'm yeah. very secondary focused. And only seeing my girls go to preschool now have I seen, you know, how amazing the EOIFS staff are. And and like you say, those routines and everything that are in place are are something we can take over to the older learners for definite.
1: I think if you've got all that in your induction, if you've got an induction that focuses on all of that, then that's a really good place to start. And if you haven't got an induction process for um, new arrivals, then those are the kinds of things that I'd be looking at putting in place because then you do make this you make the children feel safer but you're also making the staff feel safer so that then when they um when a new child arrives and they might be new to learning English that teacher has got a a, an understanding of what's going to happen and what should happen on the things that they need to do so that then you're preventing kind of the teacher's kind of Maybe panicking and coming to you and saying, "Oh, you know, I've got this new child. They've come from here, and they they don't speak any." And it's that kind of. I used to get that a lot, and so I put oh, a I lot like of it, time, like it, yeah. yeah, and work into kind of okay. This happens in our school, and it's a great thing. And this is what we do when it happens. Yeah. And then once you have put that in place, you've got a bank
0: of resources. You've got
1: yeah, you've got the resort. You've got a plan. You've just got a plan. You've got a roadmap for the for the staff as well as. For the children, and then it just makes it part of. Like Rob said, it just becomes part of your routine. So talking about routines in the classroom, it's a routine for your for your school. It's just what what happens, and then it's not it doesn't have to be this big kind of unusual event. It's this is this this happens in our school. This is really good, and this is how we support those children. And then once everybody knows that that's what happens, it makes it so much calmer. Yeah. Um, and then everybody's getting you know everyone's getting out of it stuff are, are feeling more confident the children are a feeling safer and sort of more secure sooner like rob said and then that's when the learning can happen but you have to allow the time for that i think sometimes teachers can we can rush in and be like oh yeah but they can't and I, what about this and they need to do this da, 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 da. if they're not feeling all of those things then um, you're not going to get any learn i remember one boy um we used to in our one of my schools we worked and we had screens up um, with the menu on, um, and he was in year six and we were going off to do a, some group work actually I think but he was stood by the screens I was like come on come on, um, and I thought what's he waiting for and he's waiting for the lunch menu to appear on this screen so this screen had kind of a rotation of all other stuff that was going on around the school but all he wanted was to know how, what was for lunch, how he could pronounce it, where he had to stand, who he had to ask for what, where did he put his plate? And all of that was more important to him than us going off to go and learn about whatever we were going to learn about. Um, and then I remember telling him, we were having fish cakes, He was outraged, what's fish and cake, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and then that's a whole other conversation, but that he wasn't gonna come and do any school learning until he was feeling safe that he knew what was for lunch he could ask for it and that he was feeling confident that he would get his lunch and I think that's quite a nice kind of way of summing up that conversation really
0: yeah definitely I don't like fish cakes either to be fair <laughs> <laughs> um, so what would you say with if we round it up almost of planning the AL support for those um teachers that might be planning for next week or next term and thinking ahead for their plans what would you say the top tips or things that they can put in place almost immediately
1: i'd say look at what you're teaching when and what is going to be so take maybe vocabulary for example that's probably the biggest biggest one i would go for what vocabulary are they going to need to access this unit as a whole what what are they going to need how am I going to ensure that, that because they're going to have some vocabulary coming up lesson after lesson after lesson and if you if they don't understand what that means you're not taught it to them and they've not been exposed to it then they're really going to struggle to get to grips with kind of the little concepts you're doing in each oh, lesson what so, are the key
0: words. Yeah. yeah
1: so kind of what are the, what is the key vocabulary what are the key phrases how do you use that in context and kind of yeah any pre-teaching you can do anything you can send home to get them familiar with with that vocabulary so that when they're in your lessons that's not the first time they've been exposed to it I would say is is massively important especially if you're doing topics for long periods of time which we do tend to do in schools don't we so
0: yeah and I'd say that works for even GCSE level doesn't it you know you know what your texts are going to be from an English point of view, taught English literature and yeah how are you going to get that across and home and things what would you say Rob?
2: Yeah like completely agree i think on vocabulary if we start from what can i do right this minute through to what can i do over a really short and then longer period of time um identifying those keywords is really important but keywords out of context won't actually be learned that well because there's no meaning attached to them so keywords in a phrase um is really important i mean I, though you make lots of substitution tables for twinkle substitution tables really <laughs> really good for that because it, it it gives structure but it allows them some control so they're thinking about what words go together that ups the meaning content um what could you do further than that well what else can they do with this language what do you expect them to do can we get some diagrams for them to label for example some um, pairing activities anything that gets you thinking about that language is really really valuable um obviously darts directs activities related to text and and key visuals um and again i know you you produce loads of these so that's kind of moving up to what i can do in a few minutes up to what i can do in half an hour an hour i think going beyond that you've you've got how i use my tas or as a ta how i work with my teacher um effectively and a lot of that is going to be thinking not just how do i mediate the classroom so how do i explain what's going on how do i um, clarify things but also um, what are they trying to do how I can how can I support them to do it so it might be that actually they don't need someone to explain what's going on to them you actually want to give them that bit of stretch that push um, but they'll need to make some notes and you want to check those notes with them or you want to um, do a, a 30 second briefing on a group work bring the whole group together and say right let's all clarify together what we're doing And then step back again so that that would be if you had a a couple of days to mull it over that might be how you'd extend it a bit further and beyond that i think it's a lot of what we've talked about is school culture and culture is everyone's responsibility but i mean contractually really this is about school leadership so if you can get your school leaders involved and i know a lot of people who listen are school leaders um a lot of what joe was saying especially about how all links together that's a question of what do we do and why do we do it and that we bit that's the culture
0: yes
2: and that's the culture is going to make people feel secure the culture is going to make people feel confident but also the culture is going to as joe said set those expectations this is what we want you to do we'll support you to do it and the rest you can leave for now right so this is how we this is how we make sure children have opportunity to access vocabulary this is how we do this on the other um that becomes really consistent. And as you say, that's how the teachers feel secure. That's how everyone in the school feels secure. That's how kids feel secure. And then it becomes so much easier. <clears throat> um, so I'd say immediately, key vocab, extend that to context, substitution tables. have it in text, have it on visuals, activities related to the key language. Think about what you're going to be asking us to do in class. If they're writing up a science report, then we want to have more of a focus on organizing ideas and then writing if it's going to be much more something they discuss and want to practice the oracy, but you know, it goes without saying oracy underpins all literacy. So that's going to be in there anyway, beyond that, you're thinking about, you know, that school culture, when well, our shared expectations, and the more you can do to that, the easier life becomes over the long term. And I think, you know, I, I do quite a bit of work with, with schools and groups of schools and it, everyone wants to know, what do we do tomorrow? But the stuff that really, really makes a difference over time is what do we want to do? Like, what, what are we about and why? And we do that with the curriculum planning. We do that with everything else. It's just bringing EL really consciously into the mix. And it, it's a weight off people's shoulders when it works. That'd be my arc towards truth, justice and a happier world.
0: And well, That's an amazing note to finish on, Rob.
2: <laughs> it's <quite, laughs> going <be> quite ambitious. <laughs>
0: That's definitely a sound bite for me to be taken from from this. Um, that's been fantastic. I think planning ail support can sometimes be really, really daunting. Um, it's something you think I'll put it off next, I'll start next term or whatever. But like Rob and Joe have said, I think there's some really small steps you can start with immediately. And there's some meetings and future discussions to have to make sure that's completely embedded in your school. And I think it'll be such an amazing place for you to work for. The children to be a part of and everything else when you've got it all all right and in place um so thank you to both of you again for a, a brilliant discussion and some really thoughtful um evidence-based advice there um and i will see you next time see
2: you soon.
1: Thanks. bye thanks helen bye